Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I got very distracted this morning, Lorraine, doing my old lady stretches, as Neil calls them, my lovely mobility <laughs> exercises, my Joanna Hall. I can hear the noises now, yes. Keep it all from creaking. I was looking out the window across the garden and about two gardens over on the shed, I saw Margot the cat. And I thought, what is Margot the cat doing all the way over there? And I was thinking, is that Margot? Is it not Margot? And then a second one appeared. A second Margot. What, from the cult, from the clone factory? Well, this is the thing, because Margot's quite distinctive. Would you like to describe Margot for anyone who hasn't seen her? Well, I mean, think of a ball of fur, (laughs) double the size of the ball of fur that you're thinking of. Add a bit of an arrogant sneer to it and then a sort of raised arched eyebrow. And you've got yes. Margot, but she's quite big and quite recognisable. Well, she's cream, isn't she? She's a cream cat. She's a Burman. So she's cream with the like lovely tortoiseshell points for those uh, people in the know. Anyway, turned around and there was Margot behind me. There's three of them in the neighbourhood. No. <laughs> oh, my God. She's multiplying. It's like some awful horror movie, isn't it? Or sci-fi movie. She's got a pussy posse. What's going on? She's got a pussy posse. <laughs> Welcome to Postcards from Midlife. I'm Lorraine Candy. And I'm Trish Halpin. If you're living in a hormonal hothouse, feeling a bit overwhelmed and in need of some positive, uplifting and comforting guidance on how to lead a more magnificent midlife, then this is the show for you. We chat to celebrities and experts on all things midlife, from menopause and perimenopause to parenting teens via fashion, beauty, wellness, nutrition, fitness, careers, relationships, caring for elderly relatives and your finances. Yes, we ask experts and famous guests all the questions you need answered to have a happier, healthier and more harmonious second act. Welcome back, everyone. We have just had a couple of weeks off. I hope you missed us. Um, And now it is go time for season nine. I mean, who would have thought that, Trish, that we would make it through to season nine of Postcards from Midlife. That's over three years of the menopausal Morecambe and Wise. We're still talking to each other just about. It's a a miracle. It is. We will always be talking, young Trish. We're like the cannon and ball of podcasters. You are... I like to think my posh spice oh. to my scary spice, oh. some such. Anyway, we're back and I want to kick off the first episode of the season with a bit of a controversial jibber jabber. Well, not too controversial. I mean, when I say controversial, the most controversial thing that happened in season eight was Margot got locked in a cupboard. So <laughs> <laughs> it's not really controversy. It's high stakes, aren't <laughs> there, on this show? But I am going to be asking today, does the domestic goddess still exist. Mm. I shall ask that before we interview our very own TV goddess, Andy Oliver, on the show later on. I feel like I've got quite a lot to say on the domestic shenanigans. With my new kitchen, well, not new, sort of old new kitchen, uh, I feel like I am an aspiring domestic goddess myself. But um, before we dive in, shall we just remind our lovely listeners that we're going to be meeting them soon? Are you free on Friday, May the 19th or Saturday, May the 20th? Because if you are, we would love you to join us and our fantastic lineup of celebrity guests and experts at Postcards from Midlife Live in London's Business Design Centre. Yes, we are counting down the days. Uh, tickets are still available. Just head over to postcardsfrommidlifelive.com to get yours. Um, and we would really appreciate your support for this event and also this brilliant community that sprung up around the podcast. Uh, there will be talks and workshops galore. I think we've got over 90 different speakers. There's yeah. shopping, pampering, our very own midlife bookshop. And you'll even have the chance to be on the podcast. Because if you're in the audience and ask a question on one of the shows that we're going to be recording, you will be here with us on the show. It's very exciting. We like to involve everyone and we can meet you all, especially 
I'm looking forward to this, the wonderful members of our private Facebook group who are coming along. Now, talking of the group, I love this comment that we got uh, in our absence, because we've still been monitoring it in our free time on our holidays, haven't we, Trish, in our absence? Yes, of course, we do. We moderate, <laughs> we monitor, we reply, we do it all. Nobody else does it. We got this comment in response to a post by a woman who was going through a really tough time, which she shared in her life, and she was looking for some advice. And somebody had replied, summing up what the group is all about. She said, I love this forum. What incredible support and fantastic practical resource recommendations to another woman and her family in a time of need. They, they're really helpful, aren't they? And they're very, very practical yeah, and useful. I yeah. just love this group of midlife women. Yeah, and they're prepared to share. And, and of course, you can post anonymously if you want to, if it's something really sensitive. But it is such a place of warmth and kindness and humour and midlife adventures too, because we love hearing about everything you're getting up to at this life stage, even when it doesn't work out quite as planned. We have our brain no. bog bloopers, as we know. But I, I wanted to kind of talk about this saga that the lovely Sam posted on the group. She sort of kept us up up to date with um, some of her adventures. Real-time updates, wasn't it? <laughs> it was. She did pictures. She did little posts. Anyway, Sam, thank you for sharing this story with us because it's all about her, her, her trip to Naples for her 50th birthday, which her best friend planned for her. And her best friend had just finished chemotherapy for breast cancer. So she couldn't join Sam. So Sam bravely went on her own. So anyway, lovely gift. Well done, Sam, being brave, going on your own. Anywho, didn't didn't go that well. Um, firstly, <laughs> Sam was robbed getting off a bus. She oh, lost her dear. cash, her cards, her driving license. But she kept looking on the bright side. And as she says, the very kind Airbnb host brought her some dinner and chocolate that evening to make things better for her. Yeah. The next day, we had a picture of her bruised and swollen ankle. Yes. Because, sorry about this, <laughs> love. Fell down, she, didn't she? <laughs> she had a lovely day out. She fell down uh, some yeah. steps and hurt herself. <laughs> the midlife fall. Yes. <laughs> However, it turns out the B&B host was not what he seemed. Um, this is Sam's final post about the saga. I feel I need to let you know that there was, in fact, a love interest on the Naples trip in the form of the handsome and single Airbnb host who gave me his handkerchief while I was crying in the police station, made me dinner that evening so I didn't starve, and he took me on a tour of Naples the following day. He picked me up when I fell over in the street. He rubbed cream into my painful foot, which oh all sounds very romantic. <laughs> I thought there might indeed be potential until he told me that he'd been speaking to his church about me and they oh. believed I'd been sent by God at this most holy time of the year as a test for him to open my heart away from the blackness. The blackness. <laughs> yes, he told me there was blackness around my heart and soul and I needed to let Jesus and Mary in. Oh, you couldn't make it up, said no. Sam. Well, Sam, you'll be dining out on this story, as will all of us, in fact, for years to come. So thank you for sharing that with us yes. and having such positivity and humour around it all. You think it's too good to be true, and it is. Anyway, let's get on with the show. We're about to meet the irrepressible Andy Oliver, a former punk musician who you will know mainly, I guess, from TV's Great British Menu, but she does the Sky Arts Book Club as well. Um, she is going to chat with us about the secret of finding success later in life in her 40s and 50s. But first, we're going to hopefully bring you some helpful news from the domestic front line, where Trish has been rediscovering a love of all things homemade. And I have continued my unparalleled and inexplicable run of domestic disaster. <laughs> yes, we're going to have a little jibber-jabber, the jibber-jabber section of the podcast, where we're going to offer a few tips, a bit of lively debate, a few of our thoughts and recommendations. We're going to be domestic goddessing, talking about domestic goddessing. Look, I made it a verb. Yes, yes. Well, we're going to debate the value of it, aren't we, and what it mm. all really means. In these modern times, Trish, and to start it, to kick it off, I'm going to offer you and uh, listeners my new girl crush, Trish, Ooh, yes. uh, who is a kind of domestic goddess. And I seem to be drawn to these women that can do things that I can't do. I'm calling her a culinary cutie, actually. Oh, oh, that sounds a bit patronising. No, <laughs> quite cutie. like it. It's the two C's. The two C's. Yeah. Mm, okay. <laughs> and even though I, as you know, have the domestic know-how of Rhea from Butterflies, yes. remember, Wendy Craig, I have fallen head over heels for a woman called Alison Roman. Now, she's been touted as the latest domestic goddess that we all need to know about, but I like her she's a chef, because she presents all this cooking malarkey in a really relaxed, yeah. 
less goddess, more goofball. Is she millennial? She's not a Gen X. She is millennial, yeah. Oh, she is. She's millennial, not a Gen Z. Not Gen Z, no. She's she's millennial. She's kind of, I don't want to say the new Nigella because I hate it when women are compared mm. to other women in, in that way. She's very much her own person. So she's an American cookery star who I found on uh, YouTube. And what she does, it's got really lovely music that goes with all her videos, is she makes what I call old-fashioned food in a modern way. Her new book, is it's only been out a few weeks, and it's a New York Times bestseller already. It's called Sweet Enough, Desserts for People Who Don't Like Desserts. Ooh. She's really funny, um, and I've just ordered her first book, Nothing Fancy, Unfussy Food for Having People Over. And what I kind of like about her, Trish, and this is why she's not really a domestic goddess, and I, I sort of think that's kind of dying out, is that she she gives me hope oh. <laughs> that I may be able to do these things. Because her cooking looks really good fun, and she's very chatty, and she doesn't measure anything. And what she says is that her ethos is, this is the general recipe, but you adapt it. Oh, I think danger. Danger. Danger, you say. See, look, you're... De- Follow the recipe. I don't like that. But what sort of things, if she's doing this, is it just like... Well, she'll do meatballs, meatballs, for example. No, no, so she'll do meatballs, but it'll have sort of what I would call more modern ingredients. And then there'll be varying degrees of, you know, put a bit more of this in if you like it hotter, put a bit more of this in if you like it. It's just a sort of new look at it, but it's more the chat in between. She says, great chat. Yeah, I do love it how young people think they're reinventing the wheel with stuff that's been done before. Look, listen to me being very cynical. Listen to you. You've got oh, right old Marion on today, I have haven't got you? Marion yeah. on. We know why. I've got a cold. <laughs> Not feeling very well. <laughs> she's got a cold. She's a bit grumpy. Somebody said something that's upset her. Oh, anyway, I'm introducing you all, if you don't know of her, because mm-hmm. uh, there have been a couple of pieces on her, to Alison Roman, because I made hot cross buns, Trish, during the holidays. And it was an unmitigated disaster. You didn't. Why? Why would you do that? Because I don't know, as Mary Berry apparently once said, which someone told me on Instagram, that if she never made hot cross buns again, that would make her very happy. I didn't know it was a difficult thing to do, you see. (laughs) Really difficult. Right. It's like making a croissant. Would you ever make a croissant? No, but they're just buns, aren't they? And, And they were just so terrible. They were so terrible, I thought, that's it, I can't bear this, I'll never be able to do anything. But anyway, I I was looking at Alison Roman's cooking and it looked much easier because I do love a bit of Nigella, but I find the recipe element really tricky to follow. That's what stumps me. Oh, you don't like following instructions, do you? There's that as well, See, I love an instruction. I love being told what to do. Actually, talking of Nigella, because with the kitchen update, the kitchen update is is essentially that we're just having it painted and cleaned up a bit. We can't afford to redo it. Will there be an opening? Can I come to the grand opening? Well, you can, because I've now got an induction hob, which I'm very excited about. I know probably everybody else in the country has got one, but this is my first one. We've been clinging onto our 20-year-old sort of gas hob, but got down to about two rings that were still working. (laughs) So we had to give up in the end. So I've kind of, and then cleared out, obviously, all the shelves and the cookery books because we're having it painted and um, found my Nigella How to Eat, which I still think is an amazing book. That was actually pre-Domestic Goddess, wasn't it? That was her first cookery book. I bought book that in Oxfam a couple yes, of years ago, and it's so yeah. useful. It's really good. It was when she, just after her Vogue column writing days, and I sort of started doing all the recipes again, and it's just, and I realised why I loved it so much. It's sort of gone back mm. to, well, I would say, basics, I think, with Nigella's cooking. I think she's amazing. I think it's really, really good. And the whole domestic, I remember when that book came out, the Domestic Goddess book, and it was, I was quite disappointed because it was all cakes. I thought, oh, hang on, that's what being a domestic goddess is, cakes. Do they exist anymore? I don't know. What, maybe domestic we can, goddesses? Yeah, maybe we aren't yeah. domestic goddesses. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'd like to feel I was more in the Nora Ephron. Yes. Later stage, Mark III, Martha Stewart of the domestic goddess. Without the uh, criminal record. Without the criminal record. Yeah. Anyway, Little Bird was telling me, Trish, that... Um, You'd been benefiting from a bit of foraging. I try not to get foraging confused with other unsavoury outdoor activity (laughs) that ends in ing. But tell me about your wild garlic episode, because let me tell you, I have a wild garlic story and yours will end in success. And I'll tell you how mine ended. 
Mine is quite nice because my um, I was gifted the wild garlic by our decorator who's doing the kitchen. Lovely Polish man, Swavek. Um, He came in with this massive bunch of stuff and said, here you are, here is some wild garlic. You must make wild garlic pesto. Why did he give it to you and not Neosi? Because he must have thought she domestic goddess. To be fair enough, he gave it to both of us. But I was obviously more interested. Neil was not interested. He just wanted to talk about filler and primer and all of that sort of thing. So I did indeed make the garlic pesto. I mean, you can make all sorts of things from wild garlic. I did have a little book on BBC Good Food. You can There's a rack of pork, which obviously we're not going to make because we're vegetarians, with wild garlic stuffing. But anyway, wild garlic, for those of you who maybe don't know, it grows in the woods in the springtime and it is kind of related to the onion chive garlic family and it's these lovely lovely green leaves and actually when you walk through this, you can smell it you can know it's there and it goes into a beautiful white flower but you don't you want to pick it before the flowers come out um but yes i made the pesto and i i thought it was rather nice quite strong quite strong flavor but um felt quite proud of myself still got a bit of a bit of it in a jar in the fridge waiting to be used on maybe other things salad dressing baked potato what about you what's your have you been foraging Foraging in Cornwall. Go on, and? Looking along the hedgerows, watching the people, other people foraging, picking the white oh. flowers, green leaves. And I thought, well, I'll do that later. And I'm so needy of love from my eldest child. You know, when they just reject yes. you and they hate you and they don't want anything to do with you. And she loves a bit of cooking. So I thought, oh, I can, I can do that with her. And this yes. will make her love me more if I do this with her. <laughs> anyway, so I forage. Yeah. I put it on Instagram. Domestic Goddess Day. I'm going to be making wild garlic from the Cornish hedgerows. Okay. I make the wild garlic following the BBC Good Food recipe. Setting yourself up for a fall, putting it on Instagram. It wasn't wild garlic, Trish. Oh, (laughs) what was it? It smelt like garlic. As I put it up on the old social media, the people all, I mean, in their droves, says, stop, it's not wild garlic. (laughs) What you're doing it with. (gasps) So I think the people that were foraging weren't foraging. They were maybe just picking the flowers. I would say they shouldn't be doing that. Well, there won't be any flowers left in Cornwall with all you people going to Cornwall and buying second homes. Anyway, <laughs> it was my my hedgerow. That's all I'm saying to you. Okay, your hedgerow. Fair enough. My hedgerow. Anyway, so I made it and it smelled very, very oniony. And Ooh. we did quite a lot of um, investigation into this. We didn't eat it because if you make it with anything from the Lily of the Valley family oh. bulbs, you're dead, basically. Okay. It's a nightshade. So anyone can tell, I guess maybe it was wild leek, maybe it was wild onion. It did smell like wild garlic, but everyone on Instagram said, do not eat that. That does not look like wild garlic because the leaves were too thin, not thick enough. Oh, gosh. Anyway, so that was my latest domestic disaster uh, shortly after the hot cross buns. It's just relentless, Trish. Oh, well, I made some granola, which I I know you're not interested in granola. No, I'm not. She emailed me and said, shall we talk about this lovely granola I've made? I said, I'm not interested in that. I wouldn't listen to a podcast on that, but fire away. Oh, well, I loved it. I've spent my life in search of the perfect granola and it's very hard to come across. (laughs) I'm just fed up with it all tasting too sweet and I'm very specific about what I like. And so I finally thought, right, I'm just going to make some of the stuff. And oh my God, it's delicious and not sweet and lovely nuts, lovely dried cranberries in it. And you know what the secret when you when you bake the oats and you've you've tossed them in a little bit of sun, uh, honey is that you whip up an egg white and stir that into them and it just makes them so crunchy. An egg white, an egg white, like a, so you're making a bit oh. of like almost like a meringue but without the sugar and you you fold that into the oats and then Where spread it out on the baking sheet. It's actually the Guardian. If you just Google Guardian okay. best granola or best granola Guardian, it's in there. That is going to be a life-changing discovery for me. I think no more being disappointed with my granola in the mornings. <laughs> when time stands still and I really have nothing else ever to do, that's where you'll find me. Okay. Yeah, not for you. <laughs> not for you making granola. I guess it's all about being creative, isn't it? Because when you were talking about the granola and I poo-pooed it and said, we're not doing that on the podcast, um, actually what we got on to talk about was this kind of playful... Mm. creativity of being a domestic goddess isn't it and that's one of the things actually that we are going to be bringing to our postcards from midlife live aren't we because we're bringing a creative playroom yes where a variety of people are coming to do some things that you can take part in we have lizzie king don't we who's written the book restore you've got that there have you can i just tell you about a couple of her recipes because i've got the book here 
Um, so she makes all these beautiful, lovely little remedies and potions and natural kind of things. So she's got cinnamon sugar balancing almond butter. Very simple to make because apparently cinnamon is really good for your insulin regulation and balancing your blood sugar, which, as we know, is so important in terms of weight management and everything. And you make this nut butter and you just put it on your apples for your snacks, if you're having snacks. But my favorite recipe, this is one for Neil, dandelion and thyme gout relief tonic. Oh, yes, because if it's... <laughs> he's got, he's got it's gout. gout. I know a lot of midlife men with gout. Do you know anyone with gout? Does he know you're talking about this? Well, I don't think he'll mind. He he won't. It's too bad. Anyway, I've got to find some dandelion roots, so I've got to go foraging for that. And yes, and apparently it's a liver and digestive tonic. Excellent. Well, she'll be at the show, won't she, talking about um, all these little... I mean, it's a lovely book, actually, because it's just sort of small things you can do to make you feel a little bit better so that you you might be eating that kind of thing. Yes. It's called Ancient Remedies, Restore Ancient Remedies from the Modern Kitchen, which is really nice. But the one I'm excited about, because this is something, as we know, from my cock on a ball embroidery era, not very good (laughs) with a needle and thread. We've got a couple of repair specialists from Toast. We've got Jessica Smulders-Cohen and Maria Tynesian coming to the show who are going to show us how to repair holes using this traditional sashiko stitching. I'm bound to have said that wrong, to extend the life of your cherished garments. And also they're going to be doing a knitwear darning session. I'm really excited about that. I can see you're not quite as interested <laughs> as me. I'm going to be popping out from whatever we're doing and popping into the... Uh, Little repair shop. It's the repair shop. We've got our own repair shop. Repair and remedies shop. I like that. It's really nice. Yeah, you like it. Well, it's very, I mean, my husband loves the repair shop and he was saying it's that sense of saving something, being incredibly involved in something and, you know, applying attention to something for specifically for a certain amount of time and just enjoying that, isn't it? That's what kind of, I suppose that's a better way of describing domestic goddess to me i think this is all a kind of follow-on from our last episode of the last season with dilly where we we were chucking out dilly dilly carter the um declutterer professional organizer so i think we've now chucked everything out haven't we and we're keeping the things that we really like and we want to look after the things that we really like that's why we need to get into some of that moth-eaten cashmere and sew it up sew it up can I tell you about who else is coming into the playroom at the Postcards yes. from Midlife Live? Ooh. So Andy McDowell, not the Andy McDowell. <laughs> Andy McDowell. The other Andy McDowell. Yes. Another Andy McDowell who runs this brilliant company, uh, Dahlia Beach. It's going to be making flower crowns because oh. um, apparently the dahlias aren't out till August. Now, do you know how I know dahlias aren't out till August? Because as a non-domestic goddess, I don't know any of these things normally. Mm. But I know this because... I planted some upside down <laughs> in the window box. You put the bulbs in the wrong way. Well, there's a way, apparently. You can oh, put them so the no. spingly spangly bits point in the right direction. Anyway, I planted three in each box because I thought it'd be nice to look out the window and see them. And then I read the packet and it said, oh, you won't see them till August. And I thought, well, that's a waste of time, isn't it? But one has come out in one and one has come out in the other, oh. which obviously two, four of them are upside down. Well, you definitely need... Some tips from Andy then. Her Instagram is amazing, isn't it? Dahlia Beach. She 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 makes, grows dahlias, sells dahlias. It's a fabulous business. I love it. It's lovely. And she's lovely too. I have discovered something mm. back in my life. Which is going to, you won't even believe this out loud. Go on. Rediscovered it, Trish. Ironing. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> I find it really mindful. Oh, do, yes, I get that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pop on. Real Housewives of Beverly yeah. Hills. <laughs> so it gives you permission to watch some rubbish telly, doesn't it? And I just, I'm not sitting down, I'm standing up. Petra Fisher, our movement coach, told yes. us always be standing up or sitting on the floor. And I just mindfully iron. What are you ironing then? Oh, school shirts. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And actually something else that I never thought I'd ever iron, but I quite like doing it because it's very therapeutic. Linen duvets. I've just said it out loud on a podcast. Linen duvets, yeah. Wow, you're ironing your linen duvet. That is, okay, right. I, th- I think we need to get you a bit more busy. We need to find other things for you to do. You'll get over it, don't worry. We'll take up day drinking instead. Yes, exactly. 
Well, I never thought I'd hear you say anything good about ironing. In fact, I think I remember when you you told me when the children were younger (laughs) that you got the iron out of the cupboard once and one of them asked you what it was because they'd never seen one before. Goodness gracious. Anyway, that is the end of our musings on domestic life. We're going to pop some links to recipes, the people or books that we've mentioned here on the private Facebook group. But now I think it's time to ask an actual culinary expert about domestic harmony. So let's meet Andy Oliver. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Today's guest, the chef, TV presenter, musician and writer Andy Oliver is not only going to get us licking our lips with delicious recipes from her brand new cookbook, The Pepperpot Diaries, she's also going to tell us how second acts can turn out to be as successful, fulfilling and happy as we want them to be. Andy started out fronting the band Rip, Rig and Panic in the 80s alongside singer Nana Cherry, who she is still best friends with today. However, during her music career, she was always cooking, whether for her band or in nightclubs. But it wasn't until her 50s that she found fame, fronting TV shows such as Great British Menu and Food Unwrapped, as well as presenting documentaries with her daughter, Makita Oliver. She says the great thing about becoming famous in your 50s is that it doesn't drive you mad. You can enjoy the work, but you see it for what it is. If this had happened to me when I was younger, I'd be dead by now. Let's find out why. Welcome to Postcards from Midlife, Andy. Thank you so much. I feel like this has been quite a long time coming. We've been trying to make this happen for a while. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so always. I'm glad that all the bits of the jigsaw finally um, inspired to work together. So, hello. Well, so are we. You are kicking off season nine of the podcast for us, so we're absolutely delighted. But we wanted to start by saying how brilliant it is to see a woman fulfilling her potential in her 50s. But you said, I just read out a quote, in fact, where you said you think you couldn't have handled this level of success or fame until now. You might be dead, you said, if you'd had any love. What did you mean by that? You know, I was a bit bonkers, really, frankly, in, in my youth. It's quite intense being famous. You know, as so many young people do, you can crash and burn very, very easily. And, you know, the kind of thing about being young, being out all the time, being really well known, being sort of fated and sought after, it can really drive you to very big extremes. And I was, I've always been a person of quite extreme desires and behaviour, I think, in lots and lots of ways. And, it's you know, that's for the good and for the bad. And I think when I was young, I would have probably just tipped over the edge. I mean, the young people I know in my life who had a lot of that success, they didn't die, thankfully, but they certainly went over the edge and have had to pull themselves back up. You know, that's a really difficult thing to do. And I, I just feel like I might have not managed it. You've always said right from the beginning in the various interviews I've listened to you on podcasts and read pieces of yours that um, you've always done exactly what you wanted to do uh-huh. but you your life began in Britain in Suffolk. I was yeah. born in Paddington and then I went to Kent and then I went to Cyprus and then I came to Norfolk good God and then Suffolk good God. Yeah, and it was, and you've talked about it in an incredibly moving way. And I would urge people to listen to what you mentioned before about the awful racism you grew up with, the terrible things that happened to you at school. But you still seem to have, and you did have that sense of self belief, that kind of inner strength. I know you've had therapy over the years and all the things you've been through, but where does that come from? Where does that confidence come from? How do we find it? I guess is what I'm asking. Uh, Give my mum a call. She's great. (laughs) Yeah. The thing with, hard times the thing with hardship you either survive it or it does for you and if you survive it you learn you know for me racism gave me my humanity and that you know because I 
you learn not to be a horrible dickhead. If somebody treats you like shit because of the colour of your skin or because of your sexuality or because of whatever the hell they decide is wrong with you, then you don't do that to another person. Does it make you incredibly angry, Andy? Because you tell the story of your, your German teacher making you stand in front of a class so people could insult you. In, in, I mean, it, it just I just feel as if it would make most people incredibly angry and bitter and furious their whole life. You know what I did with the anger? I internalised it, which was not good. I think the most insidious thing about racism, actually, is not even the act itself, which is vile enough, obviously. I think it's what it does to your heart. You know, there's an intellectual understanding of who you are and your right to be in the world and your right to take up a space. And then there's an emotional response to somebody torturing you day in, day out, or, or a whole slew of people torturing you day in, day out, telling you you're not enough, you're not right, you're not good, you're not, you shouldn't be in the world and you don't deserve to exist. And if somebody does that to you day in, day out, day in, that's going to have a kind of corrosive effect on your internal sense of self. I feel like that it did have a corrosive effect on me. I was quite angry. I used to fight quite a lot, like physically, because people were always trying to fight me physically when I was a kid. You know, I remember one time at school, this girl, somebody came and she was like, oh, yeah, Sharon's going to fight you. I was like, Who, who's Sharon? I didn't know who Sharon was. Come lunchtime or break time or whatever, Sharon turns up, this sort of Neanderthal girl. I just tried to ignore her. And in the end, she grabbed my book. And my books were my precious jewels, my books. They saved my life. She grabbed my book, she ripped my book. Mm. And I kicked Sharon's ass and I got in trouble. That made me angry because I didn't know Sharon, didn't want to talk to Sharon. And then I defended myself from Sharon and then I was the one that got in trouble. So injustice makes me angry. When, I, you know, punk appeared and kind of saved my life somewhat um, because I found my tribe of people and I, I felt like I had found people who would allow me to be me and allow me to work out what that even meant mm. and allow me to spread my wings and find out, you know, there was like freedom. When I think about it, I feel quite moved because like the slits came to Barry St Edmunds mm -hmm. with the clash on tour and I'd never seen anything like it in my life. I was like, oh, this is freedom. This is liberation. And I knew it. That really comes across, obviously, in the new book, which is a first in your 50s as well. It's your first book, yeah. The Pepper Pot Diaries, Stories from My Caribbean Table. Of course, it's got amazing recipes in it. But it's the essays and the thought pieces that I think, you know, you really come across just what you're saying about your kind of sense of identity. Why was it important for you to mix the two? I mean, you could have just done a straightforward recipe book and I'm sure it would have flown off the shelves. I guess, I guess I would never really do that because my life isn't like that. My life is about the whole circle always. Do you know what I mean? So it's about what I think and what I cook is, a, is related to what I think. What I feel is related to what I cook. What I'm listening to musically is related to what goes in the pot. What goes in the pot relates back to what I'm going to put on music to listen to, what books I'm going to pick up because these things are all part of the fabric of life to me, food and music and literature and each other. They, you know, they all knit together to me to make one whole thing that I'm interested in. So I wanted the book to be a reflection of my life. And my life is all of those things. And the food that I make is all of those things as well. There's a final diary entry in the book. I mean, it's very visually beautiful as well, the book about meeting Maya Angelou. Can you share that story and reflect on how you feel about it now for our listeners? Well, it, I mean, Maya Angelou, by the way, I mean, I should say at the very beginning of this, one of my all-time heroines. She's just extraordinary. Her books have sustained me. Her words are so powerful. Her poetry, oh my God, you know, phenomenal. Woman. All of these words are, are like part of the sort of backbone of my life, you know. So when I got to go to her house to interview her for this project I was doing with my friend Nick Redding, I was just, oh God, beside myself with excitement. We get there, her housekeeper lets us in and she literally glides into the room. She looks like she's just walking on air. She glides into the room, majestic. The woman was majestic and regal. And um, she said, hello. And I said, uh, hello. She said, and what's your name? And I said, I'm Andy, this is Nick. And she said, and what's your other name? And I said, Oliver. And she said, it's a pleasure to meet you, Miss Oliver. She called everybody Miss and Mister. And we had this beautiful interview with her about children's literature. We did all this stuff. And then we said to her, um, can you recommend a restaurant for us to go to? And she said, uh, be back here at seven. This is the best restaurant in town. I was like, oh, my God. 
came back and we had all this beautiful wine and she took us out to her garden. She had this beautiful gazebo in the back garden and we sort of sat at her feet. And there's a little house down the bottom of the garden that Quincy Jones used to go and hang out in. And, and she was telling us about the cicadas and their life cycle and how they make all that noise because they only have 24 hours to mate before they die. And they have to find each other to find love. Anyway, so we go and we're having this dinner and we're talking. And she asked me all these questions about uh, my identity. And, and I'm talking about being English, about being British and also being Antiguan. And I said, well, I think I am British because this is what an English rose looks like. They look like me. They look like the blonde girl next door. They look like the Indian girl two doors down. We all look like different things. And she said, don't be stupid. We, I should say at this point, we've had quite a lot of wine as well. So we, <laughs> and I was really, really taken aback. And I sort of tried to recover myself. I, I, I was a bit heartbroken, I will admit, because it's my mother. I didn't want to think I'm stupid. I was just like, you know. And I said, I said, well, you know, inescapably I am from where I'm from. So I, you know, whether they want me or not, because she was like, it, it, it's stupid to try to claim to be a part of a place that doesn't want you. My r- response really was that, I'm not sure that they don't want me. I don't feel like that. And then we sort of moved on and stuff. But I was pretty heartbroken. It took me ages to even really think about it because it really stressed me out. And then I thought about it and then I realised that actually the experience of an African-American and the experience of a black British person are very, very different, actually. The thing about being a first-generation born person in a new place is a very specific feeling. And I think you don't really understand it unless you're from a diasporic people from a migrated people and you are that first generation it's really hard to know what that feels like on the inside that's probably what it looks like to people that we're not wanted here but that's not my experience my experience is that obviously there are dickheads everywhere but my experience is that the multiculturalism of this country is the jewel in the British crown and the narrative that is being pushed that actually it's a failure as a so-called experiment and that actually it's all falling apart and everybody hates each other. I just don't, I'm not buying it. I don't buy it. Mm. I didn't buy it then, I don't buy it now and I'm not buying it in the future. So even if Maya Angelou told me that it was a ridiculous idea and that it was stupid to feel like, I mean, you know, even talking about that and saying, I disagree, still feels really bad, but <laughs> I do disagree because oh. I know what I feel. Now we should talk about food, Andy. Now full disclosure, Lorraine and I are both vegetarians. As vegetarians, what would you recommend that we try? What should we cook first and foremost? I'll tell you what's great is the um, three cheese bread and butter pudding with oh, the smoked yeah. chilli rarebit. Ooh, lovely. That is amazing. Mm-hmm. And you could have that with the spring vegetable gunga pea like ragu thing. That's really, really delicious. Or there's chop up, which is an Antiguan... I guess, concoction with black eyed peas and okra and all sorts of delicious things in it. There is the hominy corn, black bean, uh, crispy okra little stew thing. It's also delicious. Mm. There are the curried carrot scones, which are amazing. I just I had this thing. There's a baker. I'm on this Facebook group called The Porky Punk, which mm. I absolutely love. And it's just loads of people who love food. And I've been on it for years. And there's a baker on there called Bee Rawlinson. And one day she put this picture up of these scones. And I was like, oh, my God, they were like really high and just layers and layers and layers. Buttery gorgeousness. And I had a big pile of carrots. So I was like, what am I going to do with these carrots? And I thought, oh, my God, carrot scones. And I, I just ended up making these curry carrot scones. And they've got like a coconut milk chili caramel on the top. Oh, Absolutely delicious. Lush. I would totally go for those. So you make me you make me want to eat food and learn yeah. how to cook. So, so I'm going to ask a personal question, Andy, because Trish domestic goddess can cook and everything (laughs) but how do I get the mojo the cooking mojo where do I find the motivation start small I think that what happens for people is they go oh god I can't cook can't cook right I'm gonna do it and they sort of talk themselves into it and they build themselves up and they go to try and make some really complicated thing and then you get really overwhelmed and I knew I hated this I knew it was shit why did I try to do it the first way like start with those scones I think the thing about cooking is you get the mojo when you realise it's not hard. I remember getting really excited when I made cheese straws when I was about nine, thinking, God, that was easy. And I think that was one of the things that got me into it. You can get really good results doing something simple, and then you work your way up. And then once you're comfortable, then you start trying more complicated things. But start with the scones because it's simple. It's like four ingredients or something. 
and just follow the recipe. And then once you get confident, you can think, you know what, I'd quite like to stick some raisins in there or I don't want chilli in my scones, I'm going to take chilli out. Or you're going to do whatever it is you're going to do once you start to feel comfortable. Put on the playlist, babe. Put yeah. on the playlist because music soothes the soul, doesn't it? Yeah. So if you've got some nice music on, the, the playlist has got some very soothing music. This on. is the playlist that goes yeah, with your book, book, which yeah, is yeah. amazing. Yeah. Very, and I've got, it's hugely eclectic. There's music from all sorts of genres. Mm-hmm. Put some music on. Start with something small like the scones. Hmm. Or there's, I tell you what else is nice in there. There's a really nice um, roast parsnips with a little curry butter broth. Parsnips you're not scared of, you know, parsnip. Oh, and I'm okay with the parsnip, yeah. You can peel it, get it in the oven, darling, roast it off, make your little curry butter, pour it on, you know what I mean? And you'll be like, oh my God, I've just made this really incredible wow. thing. We love food, but for so many women, so many of us, our relationship with food can be really complex, can't it? And it can be like a really emotional connection. And often, you know, we see girls, women from a young age having sort of issues around food. And I mean, you yourself, you had an eating disorder, didn't you, Andy, that was triggered by the very sad death of your brother? Yeah. Can you tell us what happened and and how you recovered? I was really sick. I mean, scary, sitting in the dark crying just frightened because I didn't understand what was happening any kind of mental health challenges that we face a lot of it is like not us not having the information so we don't understand what's happening to us I didn't understand what was happening to me I just thought I'd gone completely mad I could not stop eating and I don't mean just having another bag of crisps I mean I was eating in in my sleep I was eating in the dark I was eating you know, as soon as I was on my own, it was just, it, just putting food in my mouth. And I couldn't stop. And it was making me feel sick. I just felt disgusting. I felt shame. I felt guilt. I felt horror. But I couldn't stop. It was really out of control addiction. Like somebody who has become alcoholic or the alcoholism has, has developed. And that's the only thing I can genuinely probably liken it to. I was and were you in your 20s at the time? Yes, in my late 20s, early 30s. Right, okay. Uh, it was really my late 20s because I went to treatment when I was about 31, I think. You got professional help then? I got professional help. I met a doctor called Dr. Lefevre because I met somebody who'd come out of treatment. She was a heroin addict and she told me all about it and she was explaining it to me. And I was thinking, this sounds really familiar. This sounds like what I'm going through. And I said to her, I wish there was somewhere I could go for food. And it was the first time I'd said it out loud. And she said, there is. There were people in the food. I went, what? I didn't know that. I didn't know you could get help. I didn't know it was a an eating disorder. I just thought I was disgusting. I really, really did. So she called the doctor and sent me to see him. And, you know, he took basically one look at me. I was in a terrible state. And he talked to me for 20 minutes. He said, no, you really need help. And I can, I can help you. And I was sobbed in relief that there was actually a lifeline. He basically threw me a lifeline. He sent me to my GP and the NHS said they they wouldn't do it. They only at that time used to give you support if you were anorexic. They didn't really recognise binge eating disorder or bulimia or anything. It was only anorexia. They were like, you know, you just go on a diet. Anyway, so I went back to the doctor and I said, I'm really sorry, I can't come because the NHS can't pay for it. And he said, "Okay, you can come for free. And he Mm. let me go for free. And this place was like £3,000 a week. And I went there for eight weeks, something like that. Mm. And he saved my life. And also for me, it felt like this thing that had always been my friend that had been the thing that was artistry for me and my way of showing love and and nurture for people had turned against me. Yeah. You know, this thing that had, had always been a source of beauty became a source of pain and and horror and darkness. Because you had Makita, your daughter, um, who our listeners will know because she was a pop world presenter. Mm. She's absolutely brilliant. She's just mm. a ball of energy, isn't she? Yeah. So you'd had her when you were 20. Right. So throughout all of this and the death of your brother from sickle cell anemia, you've been parenting as well. You've been in yeah. single parenting, hadn't you? Trying some... to parent. How, how did that work? Well, when I got really sick, she went and stayed with my mum because I realised I couldn't look after her. And I was scared. I didn't want her around me. I didn't want to see me behaving like that for a start. I didn't want that around her. I didn't want any of it to seep into her psyche. I knew I was sick. I just didn't know what to do about it. My mother lived up in Suffolk. I lost my brother. My mum lost her son. So she took the kids. She took my daughter and uh, my brother's daughter. Both went and lived with my mum for about a good year. 
How does it work in life now? Because one of the things we often hear, um, and we talk to midlife women, you know, women over 40 mainly, is that an, an eating disorder or disordered eating or a poor relationship with food can come back. I am very vigilant and I'm very careful. I have therapy still. And I find that actually my love of cooking and the joy that I find helps me to stay healthy with food because what I reach for is the beauty and I don't step back into the darkness. For me, it's really good for me to check in on myself because Mm. my life moves really fast. I move really fast. And if I don't take that time to stop and just breathe a minute and land, we were talking about it yesterday, actually, in my therapy, landing is very important for me to stop and slow down and just have a sort of, you know, MOT, just check in on myself. Do you know what I mean? And there's, there's so much sort of stigma around therapy. It's just like, to me, it's the oldest thing in the world. If you look at how human beings have always lived tribally, there's the keeper of the secrets, there's the elders, there's the wise ones. All of, That's all a therapist is. It's a place where you go and check in on yourself and talk to somebody who has wisdom in this area, who's been around for longer, or the way our society works, who's trained in it and, and understands how to help you. You just need to know somebody who needs to ask, knows how to ask the right questions. Yeah. I, and, I think um, women in, in their midlife years really benefit from that because there's so much going on in life anyway and then of course you throw in perimenopause and that why not (laughs) throw in a grenade and and, you know on top of it where how did that work for you was that something that you were aware of that was happening to you that was coming down the track it's such a weird thing isn't it this whole menopause situation because it's not like I didn't know about menopause Mm. I just forgot it was going to happen to me yeah Yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh, this is that thing that happens to older women. Yeah. And older women are sort of over there somewhere. And it's not even that there's a problem with them. But you just think, oh, that happens when you're older. And you don't mm-hmm. realise that you are now older mm-hmm. until you suddenly think, oh, geez, why is my heart beating so quickly? I started waking up at night. That was my first thing. Because I would wake up at night going, <clears throat> because my heart was beating so fast, trying mm-hmm. to cool my body down. I don't sweat at night, but I just get incredibly hot. You know, some women wake up and the bed's wet. But I'm just like, my boyfriend is just like, oh, my, it's like lying next door to a radiator. He said he's somewhere. (laughs) It will wake him up. He's asleep and he's like, oh, my God, he wakes up because my body has got so hot that it wakes him out of his sleep. It's got a bit better. But my first inklings were that uh, and the hot flushes. And then I realised that my emotional equilibrium was off but things I love like one of the things I love is the sound of my family I quite like big noisy chaotic piles of people it makes me really happy I just find it very soothing and calming like that'll make me go to sleep I find it actually very relaxing one day I was at the flat my daughter was there and she was talking to talking to my partner they were kind of getting on my nerves they weren't really doing anything it was just annoying I was thinking oh shut up and then my niece turned up with her son and then they were all talking, and I just was like, oh, my God. The sound. Like, literally, it was like somebody yeah. dragging fingernails down a blackboard. I was just like, oh, my God. And I looked at them, and I just went, Ish! and they all looked at me, and I went, because I, I was like, where did that come from? And I ran down the hallway, and I locked myself in the bathroom. Bless them. They followed me down the <laughs> <laughs> I was going, are you all right? Are you all right? And I was like, oh, my God, seriously, if you don't fuck off, I was like, literally, leave me alone. Just stop talking. The sound of your voice is gone. And then I was crying, mm-hmm. locked in the bathroom. I was like, oh, my God, what is going on? And then I was, I was like, okay, you are menopausal. Have you got any help for it? Have you talked to, talk to the GP? Or? So I went to the, uh, that, that took me to the GP. And I was like, okay, there's something happening. He said, oh, it's menopause. And I said, yeah, I kind of figured. Um, and then I was on like meno pace for a while and that kind of helped at the very beginning, but it, you know, for about five minutes and I was like, you're going to need, you're going to need something a little stronger. Bring the big guns in. Yeah. Get the big guns in. But then I still didn't get any HRT for quite some time. I've only just started HRT and that story I'm telling you about, that was about eight years ago. Oh, wow. Nine years yeah. ago. And I, yeah. I kind of, I don't know what. It's wrong with me sometimes. I'm a bit like, oh, I'll just tough it out. I'm like that. That's all women tell us that. They think, oh, I'll just I'll just push on through. I'll just push on through this. It's wrong with us. Why? That's like push on through. No, don't push on through. Get the help that is readily available because it really is. Just go (laughs) and get it. And then I discovered last year I had really bad fibroids. I had 10 of them, one of which 
alone was 10 centimeters. And I had 10 of them, they were huge. And the, he, the gynecologist told me it was like I was nearly six months pregnant. So not only was I menopausal, I had these enormous fibroids. I had pain in the top of my legs all the time, all this stuff. And I was still pushing on through. And he just said to me, I can't believe you've been walking around this. And as soon as he said it to me, I kind of started to cry. And I guess finally surrendered. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about that a bit, isn't it? You have to sort yeah. of just let go of trying to control it all. And well, I- feel vulnerable. It makes you very vulnerable when you have your, you lose your health. It's hard yes. for women. Yes. And, 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 you know, I am physically quite strong. You know, things are wrong with me. I'm like, oh, I'll be all right, I'll be all right. And I sort of, you know, dust things off and get, and, get, and get on with it. And I was a single parent. I had no money. It's just what I've done all my life. I've just pushed on through, so I just kept doing it. And he said, okay, you need to stop. So I stopped. I had a hysterectomy last year. And people were going to me, do you feel sad about it? I was like, no. As soon as he told me it was full of fibroids, I just felt like I was walking around with somebody's bag of old shopping inside. (laughs) I really don't need that shit. Not like I'm planning on having twins next to me. You know what I mean? Please take it out. So they took it out and I was incredibly relieved. I finally started being able to lose weight because I couldn't lose any weight either. No matter how much I exercised, no matter how well I, nothing was happening at all because of this situation happening inside mm-hmm. of me. So after that, I, I went on HRT and I love it. We haven't asked about Makita because you've done so many things with her. You did the, the Caribbean program. You, you seem to have this amazing, amazingly close relationship. Have you got any advice for our listeners? Because we get a lot of contact from people who say, my teenage daughter, it's really hard. <laughs> Because <laughs> often it coincides with the with the the midlife, which I mean for you is is earlier. Because but how how has your relationship developed, and what can we learn from what looks like a lovely loving relationship? The teenage years were hard. <laughs> teenage years were hard. I'm just going to say that again. <laughs> <laughs> teenage years are really tricky. No matter how well you communicate with your kids, no matter what you do, the teenage years are just hard. I think all I can say to people is keep the faith. You know, don't be afraid to not see them. I think one of the things when I look back, my partner was always going, just leave her. Because when teenagers behave in a challenging way, it's quite easy to just focus on that. And what I finally one day worked out was I had to look at what I was doing as part of it. And I realized that I had developed this incredibly annoying thing where I would follow Makita around the house going, what's the matter? She'd go, nothing. I go, what's, what's the matter? You all right? What's the matter? Are you all right? Are you don't. And then she go, oh, for fuck's sake, I, go, I knew there was something wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I did that for quite a long time. And I didn't realize because I was always on tenterhooks, waiting for the explosion, waiting for something to go wrong. The phone would ring and I'd go, yes. Like, you know, yeah. what's happened now? Somebody's gone off a cliff or whatever. Do you know what I mean? I think retrospectively, it's actually quite healthy to not spend loads of time with your teenage child. Mm-hmm. Let them miss you. They're not going to do. They're not going to do more stupid things because you're not hovering over them. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they're just going to be idiots because they're teenagers and their brains are developing, and they, you've just got to let them do it. They know mm-hmm. you're there. They will call you if it's really serious. They will come back. You just got to let them do it. It's just very, very hard to do because as a parent, your instinct is to try to catch them or to try to interject yourself in mm-hmm. between them and the incredibly stupid thing you can see them about to do. Do you know what I mean? But you can't stop them from doing it. So you've just got to let them get on with it. And in the end, they come back to you. In the end, she came back to me. I mean, we went through some really tough times, absolutely. We now have the best time together. We really have fun. She's gone all wise on me, you know. (laughs) I have to say, I do look at it and I think, you know, because Trish and I have got um, still in that team. Yeah, well, I do look at what you and Makita have and I think, it, it's going to be like that one day. It's going to be like that. It's going to be all right. It really will. It really will. It really will. It really will. You just got to hang on in there and give them space. Now, there is so much more we want to talk to you about. We want to ask you your life, your experiences. And we're going to be doing that at Postcards from Midlife Live because you're joining fun. us on Friday the 19th. We're going to talk about family and friends and maybe a bit more about those punk days. But just a very, very quick one to finish. Yeah. Because we always end our show with something called Nostalgia Noodle, which is a little trip back to our childhoods, our teens or whatever. And one of our favourites was The Young Ones. And of course, <laughs> Rip, Rig and Panic, the band you were in, you were in The Young Ones. Yeah. Tell us a, a quick memory about 
being on that crazy, crazy show. People keep asking about it, and the, the awful thing is, I don't really remember it though. When I, I see <laughs> it, it wasn't like a legendary show when we did it because no. we made like eight of them, and it was just sort of happened, didn't it? And I just remember getting, you know, pitching up. It was a sort of vague TV situation. We did the tune. It happened really quickly. And Gareth, for some reason, Gareth, who was like the leader of Rip Ring and Planet, really, had decided that we weren't going to have real instruments. So everybody had plastic toy instruments. <laughs> so everybody had like plastic things. And when I watch it, I'm just like, oh, my God. I, I'm literally so young. I look like a hamster. <laughs> I'm like seven. I'm, I think I'm 17 in that episode of The Young Ones. It's hilarious. Oh. Little funny dancing. Bless. But I think there's Ad- Adrian Edmondson Poe going in the background and I think Jennifer Saunders is in that one as well. But, you know, all of those guys, so we all used to hang out in Soho at that time. All of those people and all of us lot, all Ripping a Panic and all the other bands that were around, we all used to hang out at like the French House and the Wag Club and in dirty, stinky old Soho, which I miss <laughs> so desperately, the Soho I that I love, full of, you know, hookers and dodgy people. It was my favourite Soho and it's kind of gone now. So really, doing the young ones just felt like a sort of another Tuesday night. Oh, oh, Andy, it's been so amazing talking to you. Your whole life story and your experiences and all the worlds, all the industries you've been in and all the places you've been, it's its so extraordinary. The Pepperport Diaries um, is your book. It's absolutely brilliant. I'm going to have a go at making the parsnips or the scones. Start, on the, scones. Parsnips. Yeah. Start yeah. on the parsnips. You'll Love be so them. happy you did it and they're really tasty. And we'll see you in a few weeks. See you in a few weeks. I can't wait for that live show. It's going to be great fun. If you'd like to get in touch with Lorraine and I, there are plenty of ways that you can do it. Why not send us an email at hello at postcardsfrommidlife.com or direct message us at postcardsfrommidlife on Instagram. We always enjoy hearing from you, our lovely listeners, and we'll respond to as many of your queries as we can. And you can also join us on our private Facebook group, which is a forum for women to discuss the issues that affect us as we navigate this midlife. All you have to do to join is answer three of young Trisha's questions to gain access to the group, where you'll find information and friendly support to help you make the most of your second act. Trish. Yeah. Here at Nostalgia Noodle, I have a picture to show you because I have found our outfits to wear on stage for anything we do from now on. Okay. Are you ready? Some influencers were wearing them at Coachella and I thought... Oh, me and Trish could wear those. They'd be great. I'm going to wear the silver one. Look. <laughs> Metallic breastplates. Oh. Which are made to mould to your breasts. And they're silver and gold. Looks like spray paint, that they're wearing nothing, but they've got silver and gold sprayed all over their bosoms. Upper half, yes, with denim shorts. Perky bosoms, it must be said. What do you think about that? Well, I don't know. Can I have the silver? You have the gold? Would that yeah. work? Just, yeah. How is this a nostalgia noodle? What's going on here? So I was looking at that, laughing my head off, thinking I must show that to Trish because that will make her <laughs> laugh. Even today in her grumpy, coldy Marion yes. mood, it's mm. made her laugh. Uh, and then I was chatting to my eldest who has been buying yeah. rhinestone belts from the oh 1980s. Because wow. I was thinking about gold and glitter and I was thinking, it's been around for such a long time. They must be wearing these things. And she was saying, oh, look, look, mum, look at this belt I've just got from Etsy. And it was so awful. And it was oh. exactly the kind of thing I would have had would have on, worn. you know, those awful, very pale denim jeans, you know, the pink ones you'd have with the dress on. We would have probably t- done it up really tightly to have that yeah. sort of waist thing, high ge- high-waisted jeans with a tight belt. Yes. But I bet hers is a bit more low slung well, I don't know yes. is she wearing it yes it's, it's showing her new um, tattoo on her back <laughs> to show off her <laughs> of which I've said nothing okay very good good advice don't say anything about the tattoo say nothing that's my parenting advice but the spray talking about the breastplate or spray paint or whatever it is that took me back a bit actually when you showed me that because when I was working on New Woman magazine back in the 1990s it sort of went through this kind of FHM stage where it was a sort of yeah lad girl sort of era and um, I was working on it as the deputy editor and we once put Caprice Caprice Bure on the cover and just spray painted a t-shirt on her 
So it was just boobs, essentially. I was horrified. Can you imagine Marion? Was not happy, but I was shouted down by all the more fun fun people on the team. So um, It was a very confusing time, the oh Lerdette era for all of us, wasn't it? When yes. we were sold that kind of... Many of us fell for it, that idea that to be... A, a woman you could be like a man when actually yes. we could have just been more like ourselves instead exactly. of having to be ladettes it was so mad wasn't it at the time yeah i think rhinestone belts on covers was the way to go if you mention caprice i must mention the best ever episode of come dine with me okay was the celebrity one with caprice that she had in her apartment okay. very modern london apartment yes. and she had the table next to her lap pool swimming pool oh, i'd like one of those <laughs> at the end of dinner which didn't get very good reviews. They all uh, swam up and down in their clothes. You must Google it. You'll like it. Did she do it in her clothes? I don't think she was met wearing that much, Trish. No. Okay. <laughs> At least it wasn't body paint polluting the pool. Well, it's goodbye for me and okay. Marion over there. And me, <laughs> Marion. Marion with her cold. Mm. <laughs> Thank you very much for listening to uh, the first episode of Season 9. And don't forget to buy your tickets to Postcards from Midlife Live on Friday, May the 19th and Saturday, May 20th. And hopefully we'll see you there. If not, we will... Well, you can hear us next week. Goodbye. Goodbye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.